Hello, my fine friends. Thank you for choosing my podcast to listen to. We're powered by ACAS Plus. You can join uh, ACAS Plus if you want to get lots of bonuses. Google Rahalastapa and ACAS Plus and you'll get right there. There's lots of fun stuff to get. Um, Rahalastapa tour is nearly over. 21st of March, I'm at Bedford Corn Exchange. I'm talking to Olaf Falafel, who's a very funny children's author and stand-up comedian, and Al Murray, the pub landlord and historian man. And a friend of mine, uh, it should be fantastic, who went to Bedford, went to school in Bedford. It should be amazing. There's plenty of tickets left for that one. Uh, Glasgow on the 27th and Hull on the 28th. They're both sold out, but do keep checking the sites for returns. And uh, occasionally we put some comps back on sale, so there may be a chance to buy tickets. The main thing, though, is that I am going to be on tour doing stand-up, and I would love you to come. Uh, it's uh, from... It starts officially in May, but so uh, there's a few tryouts in April and March. So I'm at the Bill Murray. I'm at um, various places, Luton Hat Factory and uh, the Berry Hedge End. I don't even know where that is before going into a big tour where I'm going all over the place. It's selling in various degrees. Glasgow sold out. They've added an extra date. Uh, Chorley sold out, joined the waiting list. Uh, but a lot of the others have plenty of tickets. So... Do go and come to see that. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour for all those tour dates. RichardHerring.com slash Rahalastapa for the remaining Rahalastapa dates. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to take a little break from doing Rahalastapas. It'll be nice. We've got loads in the bank. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying them. I think there's some very high quality ones from this tour. Uh, so do keep listening. Do keep telling your friends. RichardHerring.com for all your Richard Herring needs. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another Rahalastapa. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's just been told he had his kids too late. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello, my finest friends. Welcome uh, to another Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. I was talking to the Anti-Growth Coalition... The other which is everyone in the world, every single person in the world, apart from one person, uh, and they call it Rahalastapa. So I don't know if that's going to, don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, we're recording this uh, back uh, in October, the mid-October, uh, 2022. If you're listening in the future, it's one will go out in I think December or late November. So you know things may have moved on from where we are. <laughs> I don't know how many chances of the exchequers you've had by now, but. Uh, I'm guessing at least one more. Uh, but uh, if I'd known Brexit would lead to the complete destruction of the Tory, parter, part, Tory party, I would have voted for it. So, you know, so well done to the people who had the foresight to see what was going on. Um, 
But, you know, what, what I think about that is, you know, once a vote has been made, you can't just ch- say, oh, I didn't like that result, let's have another go, can you? You've got to see through the vote that you took. You can't just immediately change it. So, you voted for this, you lost, get over it. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, it's lovely to be here. This is the week that my book, um, Can I Have My Ball Back, comes out. I expect it's in the bestseller list by the time the podcast comes out. It's currently at 35,000 in the Amazon chart. But, you know, it's not out yet. I didn't even know there were 35,000 books. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. But we'll see. I, was, I did a book event with uh, Richard Osman at uh, the weekend, and I have, I've made a wager with him that, that my book will sell more copies than his. It's because it's his third one. People are going to get bored of it, aren't they? So it's not... We'll see who wins that contest. Um, it's all right. I, it's all right. I know. It's all right. It's all right. Um, look, we're going to crack straight on th- with the fantastic uh, guest uh, for you this week. Uh, she is probably best known for her appearance on Me, You and Doctor Who on The Culture Show. Let's see if she remembers that. Will you please welcome the amazing Philippa Perry, ladies and gentlemen. Philippa Perry. Philippa Perry, she's got a, a mug full of wine. <laughs> Which is always good. I'll, I'll stick with this. Gin. Um, pure gin I'm drinking. Um, hello, how are you, Philippa? I'm okay. Okay. Oh, my goodness, this is going to be a tough interview. <laughs> we've, we've been talking very openly backstage and now. Uh, do you remember being on You, Me and Doctor Who? Me, well, when you, you said Do- it, I thought no. And now... It's all coming back. I had Matthew Sweet on the couch because he is a... Was it Matthew Sweet? Somebody like that. He is a Doctor Who fan. And I, for the culture show, I think I analysed him for (laughs) why he loved Doctor Who. Doctor Who? Doctor Who. Who, What is this Doctor Who thing anyway? I don't know. (laughs) Well, a lot of the people in this room like it, so if you can tell them why they need to grow up, uh, this would be a... So it'll be a good take. We'll help them move on with their lives. <laughs> it's too late, isn't it, guys? It's too late. You're still young. You've got a chance. The rest of them. Do you like Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't... Because it said it was about from people who've been involved with Doctor Who, and I thought, I don't think you've been involved with Doctor Who. No, I was just analysing it for some reason. Oh, I know. Money. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of your first TV appearances, though. So uh, that was, that, I, I wasn't sure you'd remember it for that. If it was indeed you. Uh, so, uh, partly I've, I've got you on because my wife says I need to have therapy and I'm too busy. So I thought I'd just, I'll pay you £500 and you can talk about me mainly for, a, yeah, for an hour. Yeah, it's more than I usually get for an hour, but <laughs> yeah, I'm quite chuffed actually. <laughs> do you think what, do you, is there anything you can do for me straight away? No. Okay. <laughs> do you ever get that where someone, have you ever had that where just someone you think, eh, no, what I'd ask is what you want to get out of it. Yeah. What do you want to get out of it? I don't think I need to have therapy. My wife does. Uh-huh. <laughs> because my wife... I think my wife thinks I need to have therapy because she thinks I'm in denial about having had cancer, which I am. You have had cancer. I have had cancer, but I don't think I have had cancer. I don't it's, really count it as it's cancer. It's probably a coping mechanism. Yeah, which is, is. Which is fine. Is it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just um, I used humour all the way through, and then this year a little bit. Which rhymes with tumour. It does. There you go. <laughs> Very, you're not helping at all. Uh, I'll have to write another book and put that in now. I didn't think of that at the time. Um, but, yeah, I found this year tougher than, than last year when it happened. 
because it's kind of harder to think You're oh, in shock. Yeah, it's post-traumatic stress when, disorder. Don't flatter yourself. <laughs> no, what it is, when, when the emergency happens, you deal with it and you haven't really got time to process it at the time, but afterwards you can go, what the hell was that about? And that's what you're in now. Yeah. I think writing a book about it, I mean, it did help and it didn't help because it made me think about it quite a lot more than I had done at the time, probably. So, But I've written a book about it, Philippa. And I Have know, you? Is this it? I think I know you, if I give it to you, you'll put it in your wood, wood burner. You told me backstage. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have my ball back? <laughs> Available from bookshops. Yeah, thank you. That, that I can put that as a quote now. <laughs> Available from bookshops, <laughs> Philip Perra. It's fantastic. Well, look, we know you uh, for, you know, all your psycho, psychotherapy. I think the, uh, the thing as a comedian, though, as well, with therapy, is I would worry if I did have therapy that I wouldn't be funny anymore. Because I'm, I'm looking at John Cleese, really. Was he funny ever? He, he was funny. He was funny. I never he, liked um, Faulty Towers. I was just terrified. I hated it. It was sort of like, it was a setup, and you knew what was going to happen, and it was just cringe. Yeah. My mum he was, he was never fu- He was never funny. I think he was funny. Have you seen no, Life of Brian? Wasn't. He's very funny in Life of Brian. And Mo- Monty Python, he was... Somebody great. else wrote that. Oh, he wrote it as well. Well, he helped. <laughs> um, but if you do therapy... It's a bit like you go into a very untidy shed, that's your mind, and you take everything out, and then you just put back what you need, so you'll be even funnier after therapy. I mean, even funnier is probably taking it too far. You will be mildly amusing after after therapy. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, yeah, it's an it's an interesting thing. But I, I also think like comedy is a, a ther- I use comedy as therapy. So like if you if something happens to me, I write about it, and I always talk quite openly about. I mean, too honestly about things. I think you can't be too honest about okay. something unless it's the other person's turn to talk. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm very interested in... I'm always interested in people's sort of origin stories and where they came from and um, what they did, especially before they moved into what they do now. Um, yeah, I mean, your background is quite extraordinary. Your, your mother's family owned a cotton mill, which makes you sound like you're from... Cotton mills. Cotton mills. Mills. Do they still have cotton? Is the, 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 no. is the cotton mill no. business? No, we sold out to Courtauld just before the they started making it in India. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and your your father's family had an engineering companies. Uh, well, flour mills. It's yeah. always mills. It's always mills. Dark satanic mills. And uh, my grandfather was not the oldest son, so he started a building and civil engineering business, which my father inherited, which did much better than the mills. <laughs> so that's a, you know, so it's, a, it's quite a sort of privileged background. I guess you were oh, a yes. wealthy family. Yeah, well, fairly rich, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but then you went on to do, you, as you were saying backstage, you became a manager of a McDonald's. At one yeah, point. there's no... There's no limit. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 drew, drew you to be in, in well, work at um, McDonald's? I never really took my the idea of career and me very seriously. For a start, I was very very dyslexic, and still am. And so that was interpreted as not very bright because we didn't have fancy diagnoses in those days. So this not very bright girl was sent to. Um, First of all, Switzerland, yes. because my parents hoped that I would meet 
some rich, fancy people there, and I would marry a lord. That didn't go well. <laughs> I didn't marry a lord. Um, and uh, after that, they thought, well, maybe you should do a secretarial course, and then you might marry your boss. <laughs> that didn't go well either. I mean, why would you send somebody to secretarial college when they can't smell before spell check? <laughs> Not very bright, I think, is the answer to that. Um, so I did a secretarial course, and obviously I was a hopeless secretary. So luckily, I got promoted to being a clerk in a firm of solicitors. Right. And I collected debts through the county court, and they gave me my own typist, which was very sweet of them. And um, when I got bored of being in Oxford when I did these things, I wanted to go to big London. And I just looked for jobs, and I saw that McDonald's were hiring. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, burgers, as many as I can eat. <laughs> so I went to McDonald's, and um, meteoric rise... Uh, I got my three stars yeah. in as many months, and I was manager after four months. I mean, fantastic. Oxford Circus branch near wow. the BBC. That's a good one. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that was me at McDonald's. I, it was a bit like a gap yard, really, yeah. because it was like travelling, but not going in. You know, I learned so much about people, because I'd only met posh people before. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. So it, it was... Uh, it was Actually, I've missed something out. What? I've missed a really big bit Go out. On, what, what have you missed out? Between the solicitor's clerk and the McDonald's, I was a private detective for two years. Wow, that is a big thing. I was, I was being a bit shady about that. But, but, <laughs> was the uh, McDonald's thing just a cover for a case? No, what it was was... Uh, <laughs> that would have been fun. No, what it was was like when I was working as a solicitor's clerk... Um, I had to collect debts through the county court. And, of course, we had a load of absconding debtors. So um, we used an ex-policeman to try and track down, you know, who was calling himself an inquiry agent to try and track down debtors. But he was hopeless. So I thought, well, I'd have a go after work. And I was really good. Because I'd go to someone's um, place. The guy, does Joe live here? And they said, uh, oh, now he's gone with his mum. Well, of course course he's gone back to his mum what's his mum's address again and so I got the, and then when I met Joe I go Joe the hair purchase agreement for the fridge <laughs> but my wife took it <laughs> I went I know Joe but you signed the agreement <laughs> and I said what can you pay he went four pounds a month I said make it 50p and then you're gonna do it and then we'll all go away and so I got more money back than sort of taking people to court because I made friends with them and I think that might have been the basis of my psychotherapy training. Right. Be nice <laughs> and people are good. But I did get bored of doing that after a while, which is why I went to London. So you went to London to work at McDonald's? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't sound, you know, that doesn't sound as interesting as being a private detective. Oh, it's so much more interesting. <laughs> um, I learned about computer systems because they were just putting computers online to do stock taking. Right. Very interesting, actually. <laughs> What year was that? What year would that? Have been? Oh, oh, we're talking seventies, I think. Because right. I worked at, I worked at. Uh, no, maybe early eighties. I can't remember. In the in the early in the late eighties, in nineteen eighty nine, I worked at uh, the British BT writing the phone book, and in, they were only going over to computers then. 
So I only worked there for about eight weeks. The first four weeks you did it all by hand, and then yeah. you did a computer course, and then you started the last two weeks you were typing them into the computer. So that's if BT if the phone book wasn't computerized until the late eighties and McDonald's was computerized. No, we were doing computerized stock takes, right, I'd say mid eighties. Yeah. And it was very exciting. And because I had that experience, um, I got a job in Price Waterhouse as a IT person. Right. <laughs> I may have invented the phrase, have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> um, I'd read the manual and nobody else could be bothered. So right. that's why I became an IT person. I mean, it's, you know, you're sort of drifting. Oh, I had no to... direction. I yeah. couldn't care less. I had rent to pay and uh, parties to go to. And I wasn't really bothered what I did while I was sort of semi-conscious during the day. Right. And so you, you, you sort of did a degree sort of as a mature student in fine art? See, what happened was yeah. um, some of my mill-owning aunts gave me some money okay. before they died. They gave it to me before they died, which was incredibly generous. And so I didn't have to work. Um, Auntie Joan gave me £50,000 worth of Glaxo shares. Wow. And so I didn't have to work. So I went to art school. I wish I had a mill-owning aunt. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it was great. I do appreciate it. Yeah, and so, so what, how did you get into being? How did you get into psychotherapy from from there? I've always tried to resist it. Yeah, I've always fought against it. It's a bit like you've got a vocation, you fight against it. No, I don't want to go there. No, no. But I'd find my feet going to the Swiss Cottage Library the whole time, which they've got a massive psychology section. And I'd sort of spend my weekends reading psychology, thinking, this is just research for doing some art. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I tried to resist it. And I did all my art about sort of psychology and stuff. So I thought, maybe you really do want to read about psychology a little bit more. And so I became... A, I didn't just become a psychotherapist. First of all, I did some volunteering at a suicide helpline... And I did that for about four years. Yeah. And then um, I did one tiny little, tiny little foundation counselling course. And I thought that would be enough. And of course it wasn't. And I got hooked. Yeah. And then I did a psychotherapy course. And then I did an advanced psychotherapy course. And then I did a supervision course. And then I'm still doing courses. I love courses. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you know, you're very good at... Uh... Sorting out issues and sorting out problems. You've, you've obviously written several books. I was reading your book, um, the book you wish your parents had read. Uh, Thank you very much. Which is terrific. Buy my book, please. Thank it's, you. Uh, but it, it's very good for anyone who's got kids. It's also good for anyone who's been a kid. I think. To yeah, it be, is good for people that have been a kid because yeah. it explains stuff to them. I it think. does, which is yeah. most people, right? As I understand it. I think so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> except the ones that are still sperm, I guess. It's not so good for those guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, because it's, it, it, it's interesting to look back. I mean, I, I sort of... It's, it's, I found it interesting because there's exercises and you have to think about your own upbringing. And I think my parents were, were pretty good, for certainly for their generation. I don't think they screwed me Most up too much. Most parents, including my own, do their very best... <laughs> And sometimes that means not understanding you. They understand themselves, but they might not understand you. Yeah. And so there's sometimes a bit of disconnect, such as they think you're 
picking your nose to be naughty and aggravate them. No, you're picking your nose because it itches or yeah. something, and then they just shout at you. And then you think you're bad for itching, and it all becomes like a neurosis before you know where you are. Yeah, I mean it's very very difficult being a parent. You've been a parent as well, and you know, so you know it is it is hard, and it's hard to because you know you're uh, you're either resisting being like your parents and doing the opposite, which can sometimes be if you're doing wrong. the opposite to your parents, you're still in relation to your parents. Okay, yeah, but if you are in relationship with your child rather than sort of like. I'm doing it differently, Mum. I'll show you. You're not actually in relationship with your child if you're doing it like that. Yeah. You're doing performative parenting, which is not great. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, it's, it's sort of very much about... I mean, it's, it's a, again, it's the balance of getting this right, but it's about you know, listening to your child, communicating with your child, and, uh, and allowing them to, to almost take the lead in terms of explaining why they're... Not, I think it, rather than parent-led or child-led, you need to be relationship-led. Yeah. So how can we have the best relationship with, you know, together, me and you? And if you've got several children, me and you, me and you, me and you, me and you. You yeah. need an individual relationship with each child rather than a relationship with the children. Yeah. Yeah, it did. well, that is interesting. I just spent, for the first time in ages, on Sunday, I'd spent the whole day with my daughter and my son was... At a party, and then with his with his grandparents, and it was I. It, I felt like it's a long time since I've just been with just one of the kids, mm. uh, and it was really it was really great to do it. Uh, but it but it is you know it, it, when you're so tired and when it's it's so, so overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, you, you quote Michael McIntyre at the start of the book saying that you know you you're basically you're, you're just doing four jobs as a parent, and they're all just <laughs> keeping everything going. So it is hard to kind of getting them not, up, yeah. getting them dressed. Getting them out and putting them to bed, something yeah. like that. Isn't it does it? feel yeah. like that. No, getting them to eat a vegetable <laughs> yeah. and then putting them to bed. Yeah, because I mean, you get to bedtime and you think, oh god, it's bedtime. Has it bedtime again? And how you know we're just struggling yeah. to get you to sleep. So it is difficult uh, to to you know. And even I was saying to backstage, even this morning, I'd read your book and my son. And this makes me sound like a great dad. This story, so this is good. My son was got got to school and he's going, Daddy, Dad, I don't want to go to school. I want to spend the day with you. I love you. I want to be with you. And I was and I thought, like, I know Philippa said something about this, but I don't know what I meant to do. So I did. I think I went down to him and said, Well, you've got to go. To school. I'm going to work. So bad luck getting to school. No, I didn't say that. I said, You know. So you, you poor to... thing. You said yeah, you I want said, to spend the day with me and you can't. Uh, yeah, that's tough. Uh, or you poor thing. You want to spend the day with me and I'm me. What are you thinking? <laughs> You're going to grow up and realise there's so much more in the world. Uh, it was, you know, he's okay. It was okay, but um, it, you know, it is. I have sort of an interesting relationship with my daughter. I was saying backstage where she's she no. I think we communicate through comedy. My worry is that I, you know, I, I'm encouraging the kids to be funny, and, and then because I that's there are I, worse things. There are, <laughs> there are, but there, are, you know, every family a has a culture. Yeah. Okay, and uh, every family has a sort of culture of manners and how to be, and the culture sort of hides in plain sight. You don't know it's a culture. You just think this is normal. This is how we be. But yeah. it's actually a culture. But you are self-aware about what your culture is. It's the culture of comedy. It's not so bad. No. Every every family has a culture. It's better than a, a culture of comedy. Is better than a culture of conflict. It is. But my daughter uses comedy as conflict. Uh, my when I was in lockdown trying to teach my daughter, and I said, it was, you know, trying to home, teach her Latin, trying to say. teach her homeschooling. You know, it wasn't okay. Latin. I wasn't trying to teach her Latin. I was trying to teach her anything, and I said, just draw a picture 
And then we can say, at least we've done it. Just draw a picture. And she, after having half an hour of not doing it, she went, fine, and scribbled this picture really quickly and then gave it back to me and said, that's you falling into lava uh, <laughs> because I hate you. I, I didn't think she needed to say that. And then she said, wait a minute. And then she took it back and then she scribbled this crocodile really quickly. It was amazing. Brilliant picture of a crocodile. Uh, and that was me falling into a crocodile. In, a, in some lava, so falling and, into and, lava. And this is enough. comedy? Yeah, well, I think this is, you know. I thought it was anger. <laughs> I don't know what she was angry about, but that's her. She so was she, angry about so lockdown. She, I does, she does that all the time, so any, every card now she does me falling into lava. What do you think it's done to Kitty Winkies that in their most formative years, they were locked up with their parents instead of their peers yeah, for two years? Do you think it made them angry? Yeah, I, I guess so. I think, you see, I think my... They I, didn't even know what they were missing out on. No, but It must no. have been really frustrating. I sort of worry more for my... my so my son was... Um, it must have been, like, one when... You know, he, he was... Yeah. When he went into it and was sort of three, three or four... When, I mean, he's five now, so maybe, maybe he's coming up to three, maybe, when, we, when it began. Um, and, yeah, he, he, he was confused why... You know, he, he was very sociable and he was confused yeah. why he couldn't see other people. But I think he didn't really understand that... Because he didn't know any different, really, I suppose. But, yeah, it will be weird to see where that goes, won't it? In I mean, I found it really weird, even though I, I could comprehend the reasons why I wasn't being invited out anywhere yeah. and why no one was coming to see me. Uh, but my body didn't, so I felt a huge sense of shame and rejection uh, in lockdown yeah. because I, I wasn't being as normally sociable as I am. Yeah. And I think, well, if that, if that happened to me and I cognitively know why we're isolating, what's it like for children who are forming in that atmosphere of isolation? Yeah. Maybe they don't care because they only need the parents. I don't know. I mean, it sort of was... There was a lot of nice things about it, and it was nice... For the, you know, the brother and sister got on very well, more yeah. better than they do now when they can yeah. see other people, and it was quite bonding, I think, as a family on the whole. Apart from my daughter wanting me to fall into lava. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about yeah. that. Yeah, but um, she sounds like a great artist. <laughs> she's she's really. I mean, I'm terrible at art. I'm yeah. very bad at art, and she is extremely good at art. I don't know. It skipped a few generations. My grandparents on two sides were quite good at art, but I but I, I can't do anything. So they are now. My daughter's much better than I could ever be at art. I could show you our pictures next to each other, and you would assume mine was the one done by a child. Sad to say. Um, but, yeah, I was thinking about my... It was, you know, it's interesting to think... My, my, the, all I can think about, my dad was very academically driven, and I think for my parents' generation, they'd, they'd sort of worked their way out of, you know, working-class, middle-class mm. Middlesbrough by being clever and going to yeah. university and being the first people to go to university. So it was so important to my dad that you're academic, which I think was harder for my sister because she yeah. wasn't academic, or yeah. as I was quite academic. But I remember being about my daughter's age... And I couldn't draw the number. I couldn't do a number eight in one. I'd do a. I'd do a snowman rather than. Yeah. And I remember sitting in a cupboard under the stairs, practicing drawing like Harry Potter, or a yeah. rolled dark character practicing doing eights and not being able to do it because I wanted to impress my dad. Uh, is he impressed now? I don't think he is. No, oh. I think. He, well, he, he's, he says I can draw eights quite well now. Oh, well done. Yeah. You've got cut, there in the end. It to... doesn't matter if it takes you longer than anyone else. <laughs> I, your eights are great now. Thank you. They used to come out as infinities, which in a way makes me cleverer, right? 
than a normal kid. But that's on the side, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's on the side, sideways. I could do it sideways, but I couldn't do it the right way. And I remember him being, when I was having, when I couldn't do a sum in my head, I remember him just saying, oh, God, was, there's something wrong with him. I was, oh. quite, I was quite good at maths in the end. But my dad, <laughs> so that was the worst thing my dad did. My mum was too over... My, mem, my main memory of my mum that she hates me talking about that I haven't talked about is she was very overprotective. And, that, and I'm, I'm a chicken and, you know, maybe yeah. this is why. And I remember being on a barge holiday and I was going to jump from the shore to the barge as it was going down at a yeah. lock. And my mum grabbed me because she didn't think I could make the jump and it wasn't yeah. that far. And then my leg went down. Because she dragged my leg, went down, but got bumped by the barge. <laughs> Which is sort of so metaphorical about my relationship with my mum that I wonder if I made yeah. that up. Yeah, poor old mum. She yeah. was scared, wasn't she? Yeah, but I, as a parent now, I, that's you understand her now. I do. I mean, I'm, I'm I, but my my kids are really brave. I'm not. I wasn't brave, and I'm kind of impressed by their um, bravery. I was really aware that my mother's catchphrase was "Be careful." Yeah, and I think it made me into a scaredy cat. Yeah, and I was determined not to repeat it. However, I must have repeated it because our nickname for our child was the safety officer. (laughs) (laughs) Because she was so careful about absolutely everything. She learnt to ride a bike without falling off once. She learnt to walk without falling over. (laughs) And now, age 30, she's the best driver you want to be with. I mean, she's just (laughs) such a great driver. She's so careful. (laughs) She always leaves a good distance to the car in front. It's marvellous. Well, so being careful isn't a terrible thing. It's not a terrible thing, but on the other hand, she hasn't tried to climb Everest or no. or, or anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I, I feel like I, I I was I limited myself through fear, but well, you know how much. Do you yeah, know? but look at you, look at you now. Yeah, well, it's not this. been so bad. I could do this, and most people wouldn't do this, but I don't count this as. But how how much? How can you know how much is? nature and how much is nurture you know is it do you really think it's all nurture? it seems to you you feel it's nurture i don't think you, you can think. separate nature and nurture i think that's a false that's a false concept right we we you cannot separate it we're just a mashup of both yeah it's a mashup i mean some people might be more careful and yet my mother's be careful might have gone straight through me and into my daughter. But it's not so bad. She's a great driver. Yeah. I don't worry about her because she is so careful. It's a weird thing to think, though, isn't it, that that chain goes all the way back. I mean, presumably even back to the mother-child relationship. The parent-child relationship goes back to when we were in the cave. Yeah, well, before, like, when we were monkeys, really. It would still be, like... There would still be stuff. No, come on, out. let's start at the cave. No, let's start at the monkey. That's why <laughs> there must be stuff that's instead. I think, like, when you look at religion, that some of that starts in, you know, just being a monkey in the tree. And, religion and starts when we can talk because religion is storytelling and we are storytelling creatures, and that has always carried on. And this is what we're doing now. We're yeah. telling stories now. But then that's crazy to think there might be something that's. A five thousand year old, ten thousand year old piece of information that has passed from from parent to child, isn't it? That's crazy. There must be. It's possible, right? No, every mother well, has passed. Well, haemophilia or something. Every, yeah. every every parent has passed on something to every child. If you, unless a child has not known their parents. And as, however uh, self aware we try to be, <laughs> and however much therapy we try and have, and how many books of Philippa Perry's we've read, we are still unconsciously passing something down. I'm yeah. sure we are. Yeah, yeah. but mean, because it's, it's unconscious, I don't know what it is. No, 
But, you know, you've thought about these things a lot and you, you, your advice is, you know, very wise and very considered and seems correct to me. When you, you, you heard it here. <laughs> but, you know, you write, you know, you, you work as an agony aunt. Is, do, you, do you call yourself an agony aunt? Is that the correct Advice phrase? columnist. Thank you. Uh, agony aunt. I, agony. Like, I, I like agony aunt. <laughs> but it those... was always my ambition to be an agony aunt. Yeah. You can't believe how happy I am with my job. I love it. That's a big responsibility, though, as well, to get a problem from someone that you're, you're only seeing a letter. Not as big a responsibility as being a psychotherapist. <laughs> it's like being on holiday. Fair enough. But, you know, you're, they, do you think people will... Do you think people take the advice from the columns? Do you think they go with it, or is it, or is it just um, a way to steer people? Probably the not direction? the person who's written into me. No. But I think people reading the column, they have written to me and said, oh, my God, you've made such a difference in my life. I think, good, that's really nice. Thanks very much. Um, Good advice is what you already know but have never articulated to yourself. So if I manage to hit that button, you go, yes, you know, and you can feel it. But it's only because you knew it already. Okay. So that's what advice is. Yeah. Advice when it doesn't land is useless. Advice when you didn't know it already, you, you can't hear it. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes you know it in your bones, but you didn't know the words for it. And that's where I come in. And do you think that asking for help is a sign that you, you sort of know what you've got to do? I mean, is the, is the well, the great thing it? about asking for help is that you have to articulate it. So if you've got a sort of inarticulate, inquiet feeling of, you know, unease or panic or anxiety or depression or something, if you sit down and write an email about it, you're already putting it into words. And that will help you enormously. Because when you put a feeling into words, you take possession of it, you take hold of it, and you then have a little bit more control over it than you did before because you've wordified it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I found through the stuff I've done, which is, you know, a bit more, like, open about sex and, you know, genitalia usually, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the slightly more serious shows I've, d- I've done about that. But uh, I did a show called Talking Cock in a book called Talking Cock, which I did. I had a questionnaire and um, I asked, you know, an anonymous questionnaire that people were very honest on, I think. Oh, right. Uh, but it, it's sort of just being able to voice, to men especially, I think may, it might be true, just be able to say, you know, like a third of men think their penis is too small and it, and it doesn't matter if it is, but most of them, they are, it isn't anyway it's so or whatever. In, the, the, the small penis I found very interesting. Yes, me too. I did a column about it, actually. Because <laughs> I, a chap wrote in that said his life had been ruined by having a small penis. And, of course, it hadn't. That had been the metaphor for, you know, he'd put... All the time he'd been humiliated... All the times he'd been told he'd never amount to anything, he'd blamed it all on his penis. So he could, he had he had it in. Oh look, I'm pointing to it. Yeah. He had it in an area, and so he <laughs> thought if I could just get rid of that, then I'll be fine. Yeah. But it was like it's like body dysmorphic disorder. You you blame a body part for how you feel, and it it simplifies it. Yeah. Whereas. I'm very complicated and I want him to unpack it and tell, tell us of about his experience and then we find it's more complicated than having a small penis. So it, small penises I find very psychologically interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm glad someone does. 
find okay, my Okay, you've glazed over. <laughs> so sorry about that. <laughs> no, yeah. I find it very I find it very interesting. But did you think you know, I think men are particularly bad at communicating, or like a, not all men, but you know, not all men. Uh, but Yes, uh, all men. Yeah, but but you know, and, and there's and there's a lot of anger within men at the moment, and you sort of it's see it culture come out though. Just, it's yeah. like what men are allowed to do by the culture. The policing of peer groups is you know huge. Yeah, like um, everybody looks the same and wears the same trainers and the same tracksuits. And if you deviate from that and you're a freak, it's it takes quite a lot of courage. So, and I think girls' culture. I think you're you're allowed to be. Maybe it's a little bit more flexible, but boys, I think, are maybe because they have certain expectations put upon them in their youth, like they shouldn't cry and cliches like that. Yeah, that they rigidify, they get a bit stiffer. So it's they've got they've got less parameters. They've got less room between the parameters to move and be themselves. And I think that makes it harder for them yeah. to, you know, be expressive. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking in huge generalisations no, here. No, but it, but it is sort of true. In the book, you sort of... You, in, in passing, you mention, like, internet trolls. And certainly, in, you, have, you have quite a Do bit. I? It's a long time since I know, I've read it. Bit, I'll tell you, there's a bit where you're talking about people, uh, you know, having to go at celebrities on, on the internet and just going, it's like, why are you famous and I'm not? It's basically... Yeah, yeah. It's basically I don't understand why you're famous, which is basically the... The impetus of it, and I think that's—I think I feel that's quite interesting about anyone who's negative, anyone who's negative out of nowhere on on social media, which obviously happens a lot. You kind of think, well, you, this is a problem with you. This you realise this is a weird thing to do to come to someone. Don't I mean, know it's a projection, negative. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're, you you see someone out there, and you just put all your faults onto them, and then you yeah. can get really angry with them, and so you externalise your internal process. Yeah, but it's it, you know, I, I wonder whether if, if people. Because people get very upset by negative, you know. People, it's unusual, I suppose, isn't it? For most people, you don't in, in daily life. People don't come up to you and go, "You're a horrible fucking whore, and I hate you," uh, to your face. Um, Not every day. A little bit to me, <laughs> uh, but it does. It does on social media, yeah. and then so therefore, it's quite difficult to cope with. People get very upset with it. But I think if you view it from the other way around and go, "Why is that person doing this?" Then I think you suddenly feel a bit sorry for the. For the other person rather than taking it personally. I never go as far as feeling sorry for them, <laughs> but I try not to take it personally. I try to, I try to talk I to them. I don't get involved. I do not talk to them. I found that if I, you... I have blocked. I looked at it the I other day, that's... how many people I've blocked, just to make my life sort of calmer. It's like over 4,000 or something. <laughs> I think it's sensible to block people, but it is quite interesting. Or when mute. You... I'm mute yeah. because then they don't know they're blocked, so sure. it's much better. I th- I've, I've found when I go and try and go, when I say, you know, what, why, why are you doing this to me? Why don't you analyse why you're doing this? And people are very reluctant, obviously, to, to, oh. to turn the mirror on themselves. I'm just trying to do my surprise face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually they will sort of... I, I've, there was one guy I kept on saying to him, and eventually I'm here if you want to talk about what your, whatever your problems are, whenever they are. That's very sweet of you, but I back. charge. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I had co- almost a funny relationship with him. After Wasn't it Mary movies. Beard who um, said, um, does your mother know you've written this? And, and, and she sort of got the mother involved and it was brilliant. And uh, she did do the, some stuff the like boy that. was quite contrite in the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's... If they, if they, th- they realise you're a real person, you know, or if they realise that women are real people, which I think some of them don't, 
then, um, then you know, I think they, there may be a way out of it for them. And I think that it does feel like a, a societal problem. And it's not really an individual problem. It's almost like we need to re-educate people. To... All problems are societal problems. I they are. It's very easy for you to come here with your cleverness. <laughs> very easy. I was also... I, uh, there was it's very with... easy for you to come here with your cleverness. Uh, it's because I can pretend I'm, I'm stupid as well, so I can have the best of both worlds. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I like the bit about... I didn't know this. I didn't know about this. This is sort of by the by, but I want to talk to you about it. We were talking about... Uh, breastfeeding backstage but you is this true that when a baby is like first born if you place it on the mother's abdomen it will work its way up to the yeah we're animals yeah um you don't see with a baby foal the, the uh, another another horse midwife <laughs> come and place the baby foal on 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 the on the horse udder do you no they find it and if you put a baby on a human that's just come out of it, <laughs> the baby will wriggle and find the nipple. There's, go and look at the internet, go and look at the, the videos of the breast crawl. Humans do this naturally. We're always doing too much for our children and they can do quite a lot for themselves and it starts from birth. Yeah. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, <laughs> yeah. but on the whole, the baby... If you just give it time, we'll to put the baby on the mum's tummy and, and, and they do the breast crawl and they find the nipple by themselves. The yeah, problem is that the NHS don't give you that amount because it takes about 45 minutes, right? 45 whole bleeding minutes, Well, we yeah. didn't have that time. My, wife, my second child was born in a cupboard, basically, in the hospital, or in an overflowing hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and would literally at the last possible I hope minute, it was a cleaning cupboard. It was, <laughs> it was fairly clean, I think. Yeah. But uh, it was my wife had wanted uh, my only job was to make sure that she got the drugs and, and the doctors kept on saying it's no it's fine it's fine and they wouldn't examine my wife though but my wife was saying I think something's happened they wouldn't examine they said no you're fine it's not yet uh, and they always say that and it time, always is by the time that she was you know by the time they looked at her we had we were rushed through this corridor into a lift had to wait for another nurse in case. Because if the not if the lift got lift got stuck, you'd have to have two people in the lift. With oh right! Then we went down and they couldn't get us in the room. Went in. It wasn't quite a cupboard, but it was nearly a cupboard. And then they said, "Oh, you'll be here for a little while." And they said, "Oh no, we need this 
cupboard for someone else now. So then, <laughs> so then we were gone into uh, into like a cute, like just like a cubicle like with curtains, and oh. and we were trying to breastfeed the baby. And we wasn't I like working. the we here. Yeah, I was helping. Uh, I didn't get a bed. I was very annoyed. Everyone had, my uh, had You should have had a nice big bed. Yeah, I had to start trying to sleep in a chair. It was ridiculous. Uh, and uh, and then just someone said. Do you mind? I'm trying to sleep, as we were trying to discuss. That. So it was, oh. it was a horrible experience. Oh. And I, there wasn't time to wait for, no. for my son to crawl his way up a belly. No, it sounds quite traumatic, yeah. Yeah. which is probably why you had to tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, I thought, I'm going to tell you all my problems. Yeah, yeah poor, it, I feel sorry for you for that. That's a shame. And now he can't... Now he, I think you better have another baby to, to do the crawl. OK, that my wife will be delighted to hear you say yeah. that. You told me backstage I was left it too late to have any. I did not. You told me you'd left it too late, and then you presume that I told you that I didn't. Yeah, well, I, you know, I wouldn't make that judgment. It'd be nice to have another one, but as I said, what if it was two? What if it was triplets? I don't well, you would be busy, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would be very busy. I've had enough of. I love them. They're all right when they're not trying to throw me into lava. Um, if I ever fall in lava. Check what my it's daughter was like doing. Very much saying, "If I ever fall in love, isn't it?" If I ever fall <laughs> if in I lava. Fall, maybe, that's, maybe it's the same. She won't say she loves me, but maybe the lava's the closest. When I was, when I, uh, this is in my wonderful. Whatever book. makes you happy, believe it. When I was in, when she won't, she won't show me any affection. My daughter only jokes. She has jokes to me. That but is when, a, that is affection. Because I, what are you? Oh, you're a comedian. <laughs> How does your daughter try and communicate you? Oh, with jokes. And then you say she doesn't show you affection. But when I came back from hospital, my kids were testicle with, problems. With the grandparents after it come off. My daughter had left me uh, a pack of hula hoops wrapped up and, uh, in, and by the bed, and that's her favourite. I mean, I'd paid for them, but <laughs> she just got them out of the cupboard. But, you know, that was quite nice, wasn't it? She gave me a pack of hula hoops wrapped up. Cling to that. Yeah, I will. That's, that's, that's everything I'm going to get. Right, I want to ask you, that, as a, a psychotherapist... I'm not a psychotherapist. I mean, I am a psychotherapist, but I am primarily a person. No. I, I wanna... cannot speak for all I'm, psychotherapists. I'm not asking you this as a person. I want this. There's probably want... psychotherapists. How many psychotherapists have we got in tonight? Oh, right, okay. Zero. They're That's unusual. Hey! Oh, Good. Who's yeah. that? Oh, hello. Oh, hi. Good. Do you, you all know each other in the psychotherapy business? No. No. Um, it's just that I cannot speak for all psychotherapists, so it's good to have another one to have well, a different point of view. As we long as you it. give the right answer to this, then it will be a definitive answer, and all then right. we can get it over. Do, is having sex with a sex robot cheating on your partner? That's why I, I need to know. If I wrote into you and said, I want to have sex with a sex robot, but I very much love my wife, but I want to have sex with a sex robot that looks like Gemma Chan, is that cheating? Because it's, it's not a real person, is it? It's a machine. It's just a big vibrator. I think it's an actress, actually. <laughs> no, it's not the no, actual. It's definitely an actress. I would actress. settle for the actress if the, if the robot Oh, that's good of you. the robot is not invented. But if it's a robot, it's not actually Gemma Chan. So. I think that depends on the relationship you have with your wife and the agreement you have with your wife, and therefore it's nothing to do with me. Okay, she says I can't do it. Well, then there's your answer. <laughs> but That's I didn't... it. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with a psychotherapist says. You and your wife have your own contract that has nothing to do with me, and she says it's cheating, so it's cheating. You also asked this question to David Mitchell. <laughs> what did he say? Victoria said it was cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. 
I think you're wrong. He's sulking. <laughs> I can't believe I it. I, I don't think you're right. <gasps> Men. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you some more questions from the book in a minute. Um, you've got a celebrity cat. Your cat's got as, almost as many Instagram followers as I do. Is it still going? So annoying. <laughs> so annoying. How did your cat get so famous? He was on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> People like cat. Uh, yeah, like... yeah, he's on the telly. And I wish I'd made that account private, but it's a bit late now. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, well, actually, the cat is mostly a projection of me. Okay. And Grayson. Yeah, it's a kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that. it's a, it's a, it's quite a dumb animal. Okay. It's it's all instincts, <laughs> and we just project stuff onto it. And of course, because it's our projections, it's a famous cat. <laughs> it's good that you know you made a made a cat as you know as famous as many people who are on TV, so that's pretty impressive. Um, I'm going to ask you another emergency question. Um, if you could... This, oh, look, my, my, my theory's getting involved. Uh, if you could go into a chrysalis, like a caterpillar, and dissolve, and then come out of the chrysalis as anything you wanted to be, what would you emerge from the chrysalis as? Well, I haven't got very, very much experience of being anything other than Philippa Perry, so I'd probably choose her again. Would you? It's such a lack of imagination. <laughs> Are you that happy with Philippa Perry that you'd no. be the same? It's just that I think I'd be less happy being a stallion <laughs> <laughs> or a Labrador or Medusa or something Medusa. else. Well, I've only just read Stone Blind. Yeah, it's That's good, why. It's, it? Yeah, it's really good. That's why Medusa <laughs> came up in my head. Yeah, good, all right. You can't see that. That's a. I've met, I usually manage Stone to. Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes. Bye, bye, bye. Sorry. It's very good. I usually manage to crack through. That's my, that's my way of uh, getting to, into therapy with a guest, and then oh. they reveal. Because it's such a hard question, but you reveal something by that answer. That's a kind of question you get in therapy. But I've just got no imagination, so I can't okay. imagine being anything other than myself. What other answers do you get? What I mean, better also, answers do you get? I mean, they're just crazy. A lot of them are nuts. I can't even remember. A tree was a recent one. And, uh, what? It's just what comes out of people. It's what comes out of people's minds because they want to answer it quickly, and so you get a, an accurate What would you be? <sighs> I just thought of Bouncer the Dog, and I don't want to be that. From from neighbours, you that's do. What came up. That's you want to be Bouncer the Dog. I want to be Bouncer. What the is dog. it? What is it about Bouncer the Dog that you like? I don't know. Because when be? I that's when I asked which celebrity would you like to have your hair to stroke your hair as you die, I also said Bouncer the Dog. So I don't know what it is about Bouncer that's really got into my subconscious. But he's he's come up twice, and he's and he's presumably dead now. God, I'm so sad right now. I just got a feeling of sadness that shot through me at that moment. I don't know what that's about. All right. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a kind of art question, and you're a fabulous artist, I have to say. Thanks very much. Um, if, you, if all the world's art museums and, and art galleries and museums got together and said, we love everything you've done, we'd like you to have one thing from all the art galleries and museums in the world that you can keep, which thing would you like to have? Now... When you said that, you know, that you have to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Yeah. And I fucking hate the first thing that's come okay. into my mind, which was a really large Alsan Kiefer. And he did these horrible post-war landscapes about as big as the back curtain of this stage. Okay. They're all in really horrible brown and beige <laughs> colours with horrible nasty bits of rubber and metal and straw stuck on them. Wow. And I'm really annoyed that that is the first <laughs> thing that came up. Why did you think of that, do you think? 
I think they're brilliant. <laughs> I do think they're brilliant, but I sort of also like colour, and that is really beige. Yeah. But they're quite violent and sort of shocking, and, um, you know, they make a nice backdrop for when I'm watching Antiques Roadshow on okay. the telly, you know, having that Alsam Kiefer in the background like that. If you had to throw tomato soup over a work of art that's in an art gallery, which which Anselm Kiefer, it would liven it up a bit. (laughs) Bit of colour would be good. Bit of tomato soup on there. I tell you what, tomato soup on a Van Gogh is fine because it's varnished. It just wash off. If you threw it on an Anselm Kiefer, all that straw and stuff, (laughs) you would ruin it. So, guys, a bit more imagination next time you throw soup. Thanks. I don't know if they were really trying to destroy it. I mean, it's behind glass, the Van Goghers. They slightly, yeah. they slightly damaged the frame, I think. Has it? No. Oh. They had to clean the frame, I think. Oh, what, what with the toothbrush? They had to wipe it. Yeah. <laughs> wipe anyway, it aren't those kids sweet? And yeah. they're trying to save the world, and good on them. I, I kind of liked it. A lot of people my age were very upset with it. I them. think it improved the art. <laughs> I mean, it's such a cliche, that art. We're so tired of seeing it. <gasps> Sorry, did I but say something know, bad? But arts, it, you know, it is about building on pre- previous generations. It's all about being influenced by other works. I'm so sure Van Gogh would have loved what they did. Yeah. I mean, would he, I think he, if Van Gogh could understand... He wasn't that happened, precious about himself, let alone his art. He wasn't. Um, if, it must... I'd, out of all the people... I mean, Doctor, Doctor Who, you know this, <laughs> c- contemplated this, but out of all the people, you know, to have his life and then... If you could be fast-forwarded 100 years and go, here's this thing you drew, it's worth a thousand million pounds. Why? Why? Uh, I wonder. Yeah, I, be I, I don't know. He'd still be himself. He'd still be in himself. He'd still be tortured. Yeah. He'd probably find a reason to be miserable because that's what people do, unless they have therapy with me. <laughs> yeah, you haven't helped me so far. A, I'm not allowed to have sex with the sex robot. It's the only reason I've you got you on. You need boundaries. <laughs> I've got to, you know, I haven't, so far, all the robots... You robo- haven't paid me yet. All the, <laughs> I'm going to pay you. All the, all the robots I've seen so far, I don't fancy either. They're rubbish, aren't they? They've all kind of got metal That's hands That's right, you talk yourself into, out to it. I'm not into that. I don't want more metal hands. You know, before we got on stage tonight, yeah. I was chatting with your sound person and your director and people, and they were just showing me pictures of their phones of sort of sexy robots. Were they? Yeah. Yeah, we're all into it here. That's, <laughs> what, that's how we got together. It's I'm sort of like, employed I'm, I'm noticing a theme. <laughs> I I just, you know, we have a similar interest. We got together and said, should we do a podcast while we're waiting for the robots to get good enough to fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Let's do a podcast. It's gone on for 10 years because there's still not been a good enough one to get us there. Um, I was watching uh, the art club today. Oh, the art club, yes. Uh, the Grayson's Art Club. Great, I thought I'd call. It, I just thought I'd call it the Art Club. That's very sweet feels... of you because they seem to have forgotten my name. <laughs> they the do seem to have forgotten. Yeah, that. I did yeah. think that was unfair. Yeah, you thanks play, very you much. Play a big role in it. I, was, I know. I watched the one where you were drawing. Everyone was doing pictures of the Queen. I oh. think this was before she died, though, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We were doing the Jubilee. Yeah, yeah. And you made it a... with Prue. That's right. With Prue. who is a jolly good sport. That's good. Uh, you made a nice tankard of the two tankards two, two I made because I thought one would explode in the kiln, but they both came out. So okay, there you go. There's luck. That's good. Um, and there's some nice stuff coming from people, but you're getting a lot of you're, you're inviting people to like Vision on to send in their yeah. own works of art. Do you say? Do you, is there any? If we you know we can't return your works, uh, we never return end? any no. of it. No, 
uh, we get about 10,000 an episode. Right. And <laughs> what we really wanted to do was Grayson's Art Club After Dark because we also get sent quite a lot of very sexy images. I and I thought, if we did Grayson's Art Club Fetish Week, <laughs> we'd certainly have enough stuff. And, um, yeah, people have some very weird fetishes and make some, I think, really good art on it because it's very heartfelt, or maybe not that organ, but it's certainly felt... <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we, we, we don't show any of that. What a shame. Well, you could do that. Fetish week, I mean, it's... after dark, show it at 2 o'clock in the morning, perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a heartwarming, sweet programme on the whole. I think, I think fetishes are heartwarming and they sweet. Are, well, they are. Yeah, they are. You and your robots, you know. <laughs> it's sweet. Wrong, it? It's harmless. No robots are harmed, I you will, know. I will harm them. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they're not humans. <laughs> At least I hope they're not. I won't. I won't. They're, 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 that's the whole point. You know, I can't form human relationships. That's the. No, I'm joking. Um, let's, let's edit that out. I, I looked weird in that bit. <laughs> <laughs> Is it strange for you to to have become like a TV celebrity and a and a out of all this? Or I, it... I don't know that I am a TV celebrity. I mean, a celebrity is something that it belongs in somebody else's head not yeah. mine if if you know i'm the same person and if, if loads of people recognize me at sainsbury's i just find it really weird <laughs> but um it's getting less and less already so it's it's fine but it's not a part i, f- I find in tesco's i don't have a problem yeah it, weight rows massive problem okay. so i just shop at tesco's and nobody bothers me and it's fine and save some money Mm, I don't care. <laughs> Remember the mills. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but that you know, it wasn't something. It doesn't feel like something that you sought out. It's sort of it's happened to you rather than you trying to make it happen. Oh, really. I don't know. My ego's pathetic enough to need the little kick of it. Yeah. You know. So you know, a part of me likes it until I get bothered. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do like it. It gives you more choice. Um, yeah, I've got more choice. You, yeah. you have more choices in life. There's more you can turn down de- and decide not to do. I like that. And you've got a very good image. I mean, the image is, you know, so you're sort of instantly recognisable. So, and it's, it's... As I was saying to backstage, I saw a photo of you from 30 years ago, and it's... and Because it's, I'm so used to seeing you, it's sort of a disconnect as to ever think that you would have been different. That I used to be good looking. I, thought, I know. No, I just it's... thought as a kid you would still have looked like this. You'd have gone to oh, school yeah, looking like this. Oh yeah, little tiny ten-year-old with, with black and white hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it's and you were and and are gorgeous. So you know. oh, thanks very much. You, you know, you're not so bad as yourself. I'm all right. I mean, I, you know, you, <laughs> for an old bloke. I'm pretty. I'm pretty old. You're older than I am, and you do not look older than I am. So there you go. So I've got makeup on. I I try. I've got some. Uh, I've got on some uh, hydrate, hydrating fluid on my face today. Oh, well done. Smooth as a baby. Thank you, yeah. You know, you've got to, got to make an effort, haven't you? Um, you are married to Grayson Perry. I told you not to say that. Oh, God. Everybody knows anyway. <laughs> so you've been, you've been together 30 years, though, right? Actually, amazing. actually, on Channel 5 last night, there was a programme called The Great Storm of 87, because it was 35 years ago. And me and Grayson met at evening classes, and 
I think we both, we each wrote a poem about the great storm of 87. <laughs> so I remembered it. So that was, we've been, we've been together for 35 oh, years. Yeah. If, but we only got married in 1992. So we've only been married for 30 of them. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a very I'm good... now being interviewed because I've been married a long time. This it's is a, great. It's a very good relationship, <laughs> but, you know, it's sort of like... It's not a good relationship. It's a long relationship. Yeah, don't you, get those two things muddled up. You guys up. are great together. I love, I love you together. On the telly. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. But you wouldn't necessarily have put you together, you know... I mean, it is handy that we like each other, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, otherwise it could be really awkward. You're quite different personalities, right? But you, but you complement each other. I have fair? no idea. I'm no. right in the thick of it. I cannot look at that from the outside. I'll leave that to you. But was it... And was it... Um, and then I'm, I would think in the 1990s, you know, it, Grayson's I met choice him in of 90, lifestyle. I, I met him in the 1980s. And then even in the 1980s, I'd have thought that his, his lifestyle might have been confusing to some people. But what lifestyle? Never, his uh, transvestism was was would it might have been confusing. I've to... always had a thing about a man in a dress. Have you? <laughs> yeah, my dad used to dress up as a woman for rugby club dinners. I blame it on that. <laughs> but it's, it was forward. You know, it's, it, it was forward. He wasn't the first transvestite I went he? out with. Very good. There we go. At least I don't have a thing for robots. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thing for transvestite robots. That's oh, robots who address. Maybe them. I could get into that. <laughs> now, we've, now we've found your place. Um, good. I'll ask you another emergency question. Oh, I love the questions. Okay, I won't ask you the human centipede one though. Um, at this point, uh, have you ever been in a police car? No. No. I don't know why not. I feel like you. You're. you're I Grace has been in a police car. Never been making a, a documentary, <laughs> but I haven't. Well, let's go out and commit a crime tonight. It's like a, a minor idea. crime. What sort of crime would we commit? I don't know. We could go and smash. You could knock a policeman's helmet off. I couldn't. Okay, we could smash a window. I couldn't. We could. We could get break into McDonald's and Oxford Circus. And I couldn't give away burgers. I couldn't. I've just noticed you've got really small feet. <laughs> You know what they say, small feet. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> small feet, one ball. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've got tiny, tiny hands. I've got the same size hands as Hermione from Harry Potter. Oh, they're exactly so the... cute. Thank you. You'll never play the piano, but they're so cute. <laughs> I did have piano lessons and it was a problem. It was an issue. Tiny feet. Little... It must be size five, ladies and gentlemen. Th- I'm size, size eight. I've got the same size feet as my wife. Size eight in children's sizes. (laughs) (laughs) Is this how you conduct uh, therapy? No, (laughs) obviously not. And I'm um, half a mug of wine down. I don't drink that in therapy either. (laughs) Maybe that that could would could that work with a drunk drunk therapist? They did that, didn't they? On Sopranos, she was so nervous that she used to have a couple of vodkas before (laughs) Soprano came to him. I don't think it helped. Um, do you think it would be better if the human race just wiped itself out? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. We could do it. I mean, we're doing pretty well. Do you think yeah, we're, we're doing do really well on that. I think we will wipe ourselves out before anything else does. Yeah. And then, you know, the lovely, cuddly, furry animals can just get on with it. Yeah, yeah. I think we might take most of them. We've taken a lot of them with us already. I know, but maybe cockroaches are going to survive, aren't they? Little yeah. sweetie, little kinsy, winsy cockroaches. But, ha! 
They're going to miss our dropped custard creams, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. The only thing that could have destroyed us is asteroids, and now we can deflect those in a celestial game of snooker. I think we're getting a little bit too near sort of Boise robot things. Can okay, we have another question? Okay, another please. question. Um, who is the biggest idiot that you've ever worked for? I can't oh. really say that okay. because, you know, litigation and stuff. Fair enough. You could say me. You've worked for, I mean, you haven't really worked for No, me. I'm enjoying working with okay, you. Okay, good. Is there a greater philosophical tragedy than the loss of innocence? That's a good question, Thank isn't you. it? Yeah. But how would you answer that? Um, I, do, I just feel that, you know, when you've got kids and when you remember being a kid, it's kind of nice when you're in that period of where you don't realise how awful the world is and uh, you know, that's all shielded from you. I can remember, like, being a kid and my grandma saying something and then saying, oh, it's terrible that they, that they have to find out about stuff. And I didn't, I, you know, I can remember that there was something there, but I was innocent enough that I didn't oh. know whatever it was. I mean, it sort of would be bad if we were children forever. But Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on it's bad if we're children forever. And I'd rather know than not know. Yeah. So in answer to that, I'd say, nah. <laughs> <laughs> good. It's, it's good to answer them quick, quickly. Another one, another one. Another one. one. Oh, well, I'll do another emergency question and then we will... I've asked you that one. Uh, have you ever seen a ghost? Of course I haven't seen a ghost. They There's don't no exist. Point. There's no point in asking you that. Um, there was books that I hadn't read of yours. You've written a book, How to Stay Sane. That's a really good book. How, you how, read that. Can you, can you praise it for me? Because I'm worried about that. Oh, my God. I haven't toured this book for ten years. Okay. How to Stay Sane. You need to think about four things. Okay. You need to do your self-awareness. You need to do your relationships. You need to think about the stories you tell yourself. And there's one other thing you need to do that I've forgotten. Oh, God. I'm going to have to buy the book. You're going to have to buy the book to find out what <laughs> that is. And when you've got all those down, you'll stay sane forever. I don't know, because we were talking about this again before, about the kind of pressure of growing older and kind of waking up. I wake up anxious in the middle of the night. I didn't for ages. I didn't oh, I, I was... remember what the fourth what, thing what is. What is it? Go on. We need good stress. Okay. I've so that means we, we need to... No, you haven't. We need to... Well, you might have. We need to give ourselves enough stress so that our brain keeps ticking over, but not too much that we get overstimulated and it's too much. Okay. So, yeah, so we need self-awareness, good relationships, good stress, and be aware of the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we live with. You know, that's the culture. I'm trying to clear all the stones off a 35-acre field near my house that's very stony. I've, yeah. got a, I've got like a few thousand of them off. There's probably a billion on there. Yeah, that's good. Do you think, do you think that's crazy or do you think that's, that will keep I think that's sane? quite a good job. Yeah. I think that's a good job. I think you need to do that. Okay. Keep going on that I'm just one. trying to make order out of chaos. By, and also, it's my art project. I was hoping to win the Turner Prize for this, but, it's, uh, but no one's... Well, you might do. No one's uh, given it me yet. Well, you... Well, it's good that you've told us about it. Okay. What are you doing with the stones? I put them at the side. And make, I'm trying to make a wall that's visible from space all around the edge of the field. <laughs> I think this is quite sweet. You there's keep a, going. There's a cairn in the, I've done sort of in the middle around a tree that you can see on Google Earth. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't I'm, think that's from space. Uh, I think this is quite sweet. Thank I think you. you should continue with this. Good. That's, that's all I can do with art because I can't draw and I can't, my, my, I've got my tiny hands. I, I think can't make people... Anything. Yeah, your, your hands are too small for they anything. Are. They are tiny. Makes <laughs> Donald Trump look enormously handed. Um, 
I think people who can draw have a huge disadvantage when it comes to making art. Okay. Because they just do drawings and they don't think. Whereas if you can't draw, you think, what can I do? You think, I can clear all the stones from this field. And then you make a half-decent, interesting bit of art. Okay. But if you just drew a picture of a carn or a field... Exactly. <gasps> and that'll just dissolve, whereas in a thousand years' time, my wall that's visible from space will still be there. And people yeah. go, I wonder who made that? I think you need some help with it. Get yeah. some helpers and help them with their mental health because picking up stones is good for everyone. Yeah. I or maybe one... prisoners in a chain gang. Maybe. I had a bloke who lives nearby who tried to throw them all back on again. Bastard. Yeah. Could have become a little battle between the two of us, but luckily he stopped after doing that it once. bloody Stuart. What's he called? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's, there's, there's loads of things we could talk about. and uh, I'm just and warming we, up. I think if you, you know, get the first hour, I was a bit nervous then. I'm all right now. You're doing right. You were fantastic right from the start. That's very um, sweet. Uh, do you think, well, let's talk about getting older, because I think it's, <gasps> it's happening to us all. And is, is, that, is that a hard it's thing? It's such to... a cliche, you know, getting older, and there's so many cliches around it that it's quite hard to pinpoint your experience of it. And yet, there's things like not knowing where you are when you wake up, not knowing what age you are when you wake up, not knowing who's died and who's alive when you wake up. And then a second later, you remember, oh, yeah, my parents died 10 years ago or whatever it is. But in that, in that moment when I'm just waking up, I have no idea whether I have to get ready for school or not. <laughs> it's, it's quite strange. The other thing is, is um, I started to walk here tonight and I came by bus to get here. You did say you send a car, but I can't bear being sent a car. It's so stressful because you never know whether they're going to turn up or not. So I, I walked and got a bus. And I started walking. And I thought, my leg's really hurting. I have to go back home and get my stick. There's stuff like that yeah. that is, like, so new to me. <laughs> it's horrible. But, of course, it's horrible. But then this is the privilege of living. You know, I could have died when I was two, but I didn't. I'm 65. Yeah. And it's great being 65, but it bloody hurts. Around yeah. the knees. Yeah. That one of the hips, one of the elbows, oh, and that ankle is not good. So there's this sort of shit. And the other thing is, it's like being tired. I used to be able to do a three-shift day. That's a morning shift, an afternoon shift, and then an evening shift. Because I'm doing an evening shift tonight, because I'm doing this, I'm a one-shift day girl now. I don't do anything else for the, for, for the, for the rest of the day. But that's I mean, I pumped up my bicycle tyres, but, you know, that yeah. was enough. But that's quite nice because, you know, I feel like, I'm, you know, I've been doing much too much this week and, and I feel kid, like I'm going to die. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's maybe... You've it's, got it's to good. do another podcast of this one. I've got another one after that. Don't tell anyone that. It's, we only do one a week. Uh, but, uh, yeah. He I'm does two a night. <laughs> two a night. God. He's uh, going to just go backstage and lie down. <laughs> 20 minutes. Don't talk to me. Is it bad to... Is it... Is it is it wrong to still feel like you're younger than you are? Is it? Is it? I think we that... forget. That's the thing. That's like me going out tonight without a stick and having to go back and get it. Yeah. Because I, oh, I don't think I can get to the bus stop without the bloody stick. 
it's, I'm just going to go, ow, ow, <laughs> ow, on every step. So I had to go back and get the stick. Yeah. But I'm so vain that I've walked on stage without it. <laughs> well, it was like, it's not that far. Uh... I can carry you back off. I'll give you a piggyback off. If you, like. you you want to because you think you're 28, but you can't. Well, but it's sort of it's good and bad, isn't it? Because like a lot, of the I, I've noticed this. Is certainly, I mean, I think the world started to notice that middle-aged men uh, have a disconnect between. Oh, you're middle-aged. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> I think middle age encompasses like. 40 I think now I'm 65. I'm, I'm officially old, but you're still middle aged. I think it's. I think I'm in the middle of middle age. I don't think middle age is one year. Middle age is an age. Right? How old are you? I'm 55. Oh, so you're going to live to 110? No, because it doesn't mean that. It means I'm uh, in a period between, I'd say, 40 and 65, I would say. Okay, would 65. Say, I'm allowed to be old now. Though. I would say you're. Well, I guess you're 65, then you're you're, you're old now. Yeah. By my don't system. get a pension till next you're young, year. You're young, you're young old. You're a, oh, you're yes, the great. Possible old I'm a young old person. <laughs> that means I'm young again. Actually, uh, the first f- few years of a decade, I always feel young, like oh, young 30s, young 40s, young 50s, <laughs> even young 60s. I feel great. The last five years, so I'm 65, that's just about doable. 66, 67, 68, 69, awful. 70, young 70s, yay, can't wait. Good, well, that's a good way. So um, I bet most of the people listening to this podcast are probably not as old as me, but some of you will be. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) They won't be, you know, they won't be young. I'm saying there's, there's, hello, all my 18-year-old fans. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but they will be. They'll be. They'll be. They'll be middle aged, uh, somewhere between thirty and I. Yeah, but getting old is interesting because I haven't done it before. Yeah. So it's all new territory. I like that. Yeah, that's that's true for us all, right? So that's something for us to. We're all still here. Everyone who's listening to this yeah, is still here. Yeah, it's, it's very lucky to be still here, and it's very lucky that there are walking aids. That is true. And visual I, aids. And I'm looking forward to my blue badge. <laughs> How would you have to be to get... Oh, well, that's a that's No, a you get your blue thing. badge when there's no hope of your arthritic knees getting better okay. for three years. They say, are you going to be any... Uh, will you be better in three years? And if the answer is no, you get a blue badge. Okay. That's all right, isn't it? <sighs> Can't wait. I've been, I've been raising money for Scope for years, hoping they'd just give me one, and they won't. So I, I didn't realise I just had to become disabled myself, if only I'd realised. Uh... So I'm on the way. I'm on the way. Look, it's really lovely to meet you, Philippa, and uh, the book is fantastic. Thanks very it's, much. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the others are as well. The one I've read is the book that you wish your parents had read. I do wish they'd read it. And uh, uh, No, they were good. My mum and, and dad are all right. Apart from, the, you know, the maths. You yeah, know, well, come on, give him a break. It's no, he's a good, he's a very, very good man. He said to me, I remember him being very he's still impre- alive. He's still going. You're a young man. If your parents are still <laughs> both alive. of them are still going, he said. To, I remember him. He used to read the Independent every day, and Miles Kington used to write an art a, an article every day. And my dad said, "It's so amazing. He manages to write an article every day." I've written a blog every day for twenty years. Do you think that's connected? Has he noticed? No. <laughs> oh. I think that, you know, they occasionally... Yeah. I think you're doing 
really well. Thanks. I That's think you've I mean. had a great career. Thank you. <laughs> and I think you're very funny and very successful. It's even better in you're a sarcastic so- voice. <laughs> <laughs> you're someone I've always looked up For to. For someone with tiny... How, think how tiny my hands are and what I wish a disadvantage that, that was. That was just some sort of Tourette's that came <laughs> out of me. I'm sorry about that. You just said the feet. I brought, I brought up the hands, to be fair. Uh, look, it's fantastic to meet you, and I'm a huge fan of yours as well. And your book's fantastic. And your column is always worth reading in the, in the Guardian. You always worth things. reading. Yeah. Great. Put that, put that at the top. It's good. That's what I'm saying. It's good. Ladies and gentlemen, please give you a hand up for the amazing Philippa Berry. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to that. I mean, I think you're all amazing. I couldn't listen to someone talk about themselves that long. <laughs> Thank you. Unless I was paid. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Philippa Perry. Thank you to Scant Regard for playing the music. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one. I'm indebted to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre and everyone from Go Faster Stripe and George the Incompetent Soundman and everybody. It's been so lovely and everyone who knows me. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Um, tell your friends about the podcast and listen to another one right now. Thank you. Goodbye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture, and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm travelling around Europe, following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening to my podcasts. Listen to some more. Tell your friends about these podcasts. We're in a very competitive market. It would be lovely to keep those downloads coming in. The more downloads we get, the more money we make and the more podcasts we can make for you. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Come and see me on tour at richardherring.com. But otherwise, just, you know, go outside. Enjoy the spring air. It's beautiful out there. I love you all. Goodbye.